0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. Uh, It's Tuesday, so we are live here with our show, and in an unusual fashion, I have both of my guests in studio. You know, many years ago when we started the show, we kind of had local people in here first. That was the easiest thing to do, and it seemed like I was in here all the time, and then Somewhere along the the way, I started uh, calling in more often and having more guests from around the country and around the world, and so today's kind of a really cool uh, blast in the past. We've got two guests in studio for once, so... Uh, looking forward to it, and, and you know the way really that this show exists because I love to have conversations with leaders and entrepreneurs and HR professionals, where we talk about talent, we talk about how they're managing their talent, and we hopefully learn something about what makes them talented, and maybe learn something and take something way back that we can use in our own lives and our careers, uh, and hopefully make things better in a, in a, in a positive way. Uh, there's been so many, uh, you know, wonderful stories over the last five years that I've been doing this show. Um, in fact, I put a lot of them in my first book called The Power of Company Culture, which is now a bestseller. It can get it on Audible, wherever you buy books. Um, if you like to read them, listen to them, whatever it is it's available on Amazon or wherever you get them. But it, it has so many of the stories that we've told here and talked about um, on the radio show as well as sort of my story and what my company went through. Um, and kind of laid out on, it's kind of a nice little blueprint on what you should be doing to thinking about changing your culture or improving your culture uh, at work. As I mentioned, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, and we love to have you be involved in the show. So, if you're listening live, or maybe if you're, uh, you know, listening on the podcast, as most of you do, uh, we definitely want to have you involved uh, on the uh, on Twitter and uh, you know being a part of our live feed. So, no matter when you're listening, if you go back to, to Twitter at peopleg2 or look for that hashtag talent talk, you can find sort of you know, push out the best comments and the best little tidbits. Uh, my producer, Mike, happens to be on the road today, so uh, Tina has stepped in, our associate producer for the day, and she'll be live-tweeting all these uh, great things. So we're looking for her to... Uh to get that out there but give us your questions give us your thoughts give us your retweets we'd love to see all of that conversation happening there uh and you certainly can ask our guest questions there as well so uh catch us on uh, itunes and subscribe or iHeartRadio, or stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts uh we definitely will keep you posted as we're doing shows uh, here just about every week all right uh let's uh, we got the business out of the way Let's uh, figure out who we're talking to today. My first guest in studio is John Hoffer, the president at uh, at Milestone Risk, excuse me, Risk Management and Insurance Services, and then we'll bring in uh, Janelle Mitchell. She's an executive consultant in HR uh, with HR Squared, and we'll bring her in live again on the studio after that commercial break. But uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Good you, to be here. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? You know what's important for us to know about you. You know, and of course, tell us more about what your company does.
2: Sure. So, uh, John Hofer, I was born and raised here in Southern California.
1: So I own nickel because I screw up people's names all the time. Oh, so I've uh, already yeah, done I didn't, that. Didn't or, even or, notice. Or a five dollars. <laughs> probably everyone screws up your name all the time. That's so.
2: true. Sorry to interrupt, but. Yeah, That's okay. go ahead. <laughs> right, so born and raised here in Southern California. I uh, went to Servite High School. Went back to school in Boston, and uh, to be in finance and to go to Wall Street. And graduated in two thousand one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Boston is also the furthest big city away from Southern California, which is why I uh, <laughs> ended up there. Uh, But it came back for the weather and got involved in uh, real estate appraisal, appraising real estate uh, commercial properties for, uh, let's say, institutional um, investors, and then got into small commercial loans. And uh, apparently I was chasing bubbles in my first career. And uh, so after uh, 2008, I really started looking at uh, where I was, what I wanted to do. And this is a family insurance brokerage Mm -hmm. uh, started by my father. And... During this time, I I decided I needed a little bit more interaction with live people. Instead right. of buildings, <laughs> and a little bit more control over over my life and, and career, and insurance, um, you know what I thought was you know, bringing some valuation experience and and get, you know getting into the family business re- became a fulfilling career where I really get to affect the lives of of people and businesses and their employees because insurance right. really is a great place and a surprising place to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, so certainly uh, go back to your survey comment. I, was, I went to Troy, so okay. I always had that rivalry with. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, did with, with Servite, and then and then you, you kind of uh, you know run away to Boston, yep. Get get away from from everyone and everything, and then but you know as as many people Californians do seem to find their way back. Right? Absolutely, you can only deal with so many of those Boston winters before mm-hmm. you you realize uh, winter at sixty five degrees isn't so bad. It's not so
2: bad. It's <laughs> not so bad. And so I've been at Milestone for uh, I guess eleven years now, mm-hmm. as of May. And we are a boutique, uh, middle market insurance brokerage focusing on companies between 10 and 150 million in sales. What's great about that size is that their their administrative department is usually well run, but at the same time, uh, very you know understaffed and can really use the HR, safety um, resources that we're able to bring, and actually. You know, with your your focus here on talent mm-hmm. is actually not only do we improve the talent and and work the talent in our organization, but also that is that is kind of our secret sauce of helping our our, comp- our clients right. You know, Im- improve their processes, improve their business, improve their knowledge of workers' compensation, of HR, and uh, managing claims.
1: So as you sort of transitioned from you know spending your days around uh, buildings to now helping clients and mm-hmm. and really having to get into the understanding their business needs their challenges and the people i mean it it really is uh, although certainly i think a lot of the things that you were doing prior have a lot of great applications it is a different lens right it's a different interaction and so you know now you're as the president of the company what what do you sort of find as some of your biggest challenges especially from a leadership standpoint
2: sure Uh, from a leadership standpoint it's really the 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 fast pace of technology Mm. and and how technology is changing especially say on the benefit side where we had these standalone benefit administration systems that would need to talk to you know all the the other the payroll the HRAS. and cuz the payroll systems were big behemoth companies that couldn't turn very fast and they had very right. clunky ben admin systems and the much more agile standalone systems were great did exactly what they needed but there was too much uh, you know, too much uh, friction between the systems and getting things incorrect. And um, so now it looks like things are changing back towards the payroll where they're doing a better job. And so we spend a lot of time learning these systems. Right. And then the world changes on you again. <laughs> so and that's that's the same as uh, that's true for internally. We, we, we run our business on a lot of different softwares um, deciding how what what the mix is, right? And there's, there can be a lot of uh, wasted time and capital in understanding the technology mix for the, that the company needs, and then training, ongoing training, onboarding. Uh, technology is is um, is a great force multiplier, right? And it's also um, a, a constant constant change.
1: Yeah, and there's so much happening. Um, you know, I, often a lot of people will sort of talk about. Maybe this new software, this new thing, and and you sort of ask them what the you know what are the core new benefits or, or mm-hmm. something and. You know, a lot of times the things they they mention, it's sort of like someone telling me, "I bought in California. I bought this car because there's a heat seater. You know, <laughs> the, the heater in this. It's like and and the windshield why? wipers will, will warm up. And I'm like, why? You, yeah. you live in Calif- Southern sure. California, Southern California. Like, I it's, mean, I guess there's a few days. I've been up in the mountains and it's nice yeah. when that turns on, right? But like, I don't use. That's, there's a lot like, of
2: shiny objects in that A lot with, of uh,
1: shiny object, and it's like, is that really why you're going to spend? x amount more dollars is that Mm -hmm. really why you're going to upend your entire systems change everything retrain Mm -hmm. everybody new user licenses all for the you know this little thing that
2: especially with client facing software too mm -hmm. those types of hiccups are not uh, are not good to pull on your clients so you got to be very careful about that
1: right right and yet i think there certainly is a you know a part of the population that you know they want something they they do want, want they, they're early it. adopters and all that but most people sure. sit in the middle right they they'll change when it's good enough mm-hmm. when you've got enough you know most people
2: don't want a new login
1: right right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> to manage right i think hackers exist because people just don't want to change their passwords absolutely right? <laughs> <laughs> that's so true <laughs> So um, I know one of the things that you do with your team and partners is to collaborate with them to kind of problem solve as we began to talk about and to you know handle whatever their different difficult situations might be or what maybe their growth scenarios or whatever is happening. I mean, especially if your company went from ten million all of a sudden to one hundred million, what you need for insurance changes a lot. Absolutely, I don't think people realize that. I mean, we've been in some pretty big RFPs before, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how no one thinks about guys if we double our business here. What Our does insurance that mean? is completely different. And then, and, and then what does that cost? And they go, oh, I don't know. Well, then how yep. can you possibly even quote this RP, right? Absolutely. So how does that kind of collaboration work uh, for your organization and and for your team? You know, what, did you guys have a certain approach or way that you do that?
2: Sure. So, um, and we put on a leadership summit every year. I think you might have, might have known about that. And one of the summits we had was at the Ritz Carlton, using their leadership um, training institute, actually, hmm. and we follow that their model of at every shift change, they have a, uh, a meeting between the two shifts to uh, transfer the information, right? So right. now we don't do that every shift change. We do that every Monday and where all the departments get together, we talk about our clients, talk about what's going on, talk about what's going on in the market. And so this transfers the information around the business and so we can hmm. uh, always collaborate and understand what's going on and what's critical right now for our clients. When it comes to... Issues number one: we, we are very proud of our, our team approach. It's actually almost very very few problems are not shared and and uh, disseminated and dis- discussed between the team members because we all have different ways of learning. We all have different ways of approaching uh, issues. We all have a different background, and so we collaborate not only internally but with our clients. Uh, like you said on RFPs, right. that, that's that's huge for our contractors service contractors uh, is, is understanding their costs and making sure that they're they're working at, at a profit um, then also working with our carriers since you know our job is to having is to create an engaging relationship between the carrier and the client and us as well and so that the carrier understands what the client is trying to do and so mm-hmm. they can help them grow profitably as well while having the proper coverage
1: yeah, and that can be a real struggle. I mean, it's often people don't think about these types of things. They don't need you until it's too late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then of course there's always that old adage that certainly you you live in a similar space that I live in, which is is sort of a co- commoditization sure. uh, of of the product that we mm-hmm. sell. You know, people have this mistake; they think that. What their they think insurance, it's a commodity, yeah. right? They think their insurance policy is the same as the other one they're going to buy from somebody else, mm-hmm. and it's not. There's drastic differences, there's drastic uh, exclusions, and things like that. So, you know, getting people to realize the importance of their relationship, sure, uh, and having someone who can and develop those needs and figure out what you what you really should be paying for and not paying for, and mm-hmm. protecting Absolutely. you. Uh, you know some I've, I've seen people say $500 on insurance policy and then come back and get sued and find out that they're not they, covered.
2: Absolutely. I've, we've seen that as well.
1: And you say I would gladly have paid $500 or more to be covered, right? Yeah, I I've, <laughs> I've seen a, a
2: local business here with three locations that went out of business because they didn't take a, a employment practice coverage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Uh I had recently an insurance company try to send me a renewal and say, "Well, we're excluding all class action suits." Yeah, and I was like, and
2: that's probably a wage and hour issue, which which is huge in California. Here. Right,
1: and it wasn't. Yeah. It was just a professional liability policy. Okay, that they weren't going to cover anything that was a class act. I went, wow. no. I went, what? <laughs> the, like, what?
2: Like, you're the biggest threat, the one that will put you out of that. Right, right. You know, d- defending against several hundred people. Right,
1: and like, and like, and I'm I haven't even seen a suit, and I don't know how long that wasn't sure. a class action. They pretty yeah. much just turned them all into that. Absolutely. And it was like, how you know, you know, I sort of went back to you know my my broker and said, you know, this kidding me you know, yeah. you're basically saying we'll insure you on nothing
2: on nothing yeah <laughs> exactly it's it's just paper you give us money paper we'll give you paper paper right. and it's just super expensive <laughs> and doesn't doesn't provide anything i right. don't know why that would even be proposed but yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know either you know i mean uh, yeah so <laughs> well uh you know kind of getting back to to the leadership stand of it um you know having the type of openness that you talked about with mm-hmm. the communication with your staff and uh and listening to others especially your partners and clients and employees uh, that's really kind of the main you know, focal point in strengthening an organization. How has your team been able to take that kind of information, that feedback, and, and use it to their advantage?
2: Sure. So, well, first, we love to learn from other mistakes, uh, other people's mistakes, but we are human. And so, actually, a good example of this is our. Uh, we have a brewery program, the Brewery Insurance Program. So I'm a lo- big fan of craft beer. Right. I certainly enjoy tax-free beer. And <laughs> uh, so we have a brewery program. It's actually one of the largest in the country. It started because we had a brewery back in 2009-10, and frankly, we didn't know. It, that, that's right when you know, the the extreme growth really started. Right. We didn't know as uh, all all the nuances of coverage, and uh, in when I came into that client, noticing these shortfalls we had, and these gaps, and these gaps of information, contacting you know the right carriers, the best carriers, creating relationships, and then going. Over the entire policy, understanding all of the gaps, uh, what coverages they need, uh, better understanding of the business. Because that's really what what happens is we get a very good understanding of the business operations. Mm -hmm. And when you get involved in one industry, you get a, uh, a good knowledge of the differences between each of those businesses and how they're each individually going after different revenue streams, even in the same business, and how those need to be protected. So that's how we built an entire program was, frankly, seeing our frailties, communicating with partners, communicating with, with breweries, and um, really just putting a, a big package together where, frankly, in, in the very beginning when we had one or two or three breweries, we were quite frail.
1: Yeah, and and, and that, that that's important to kind of, I think, for people to realize is that you – Sometimes we try to go in and we try to know everything, right? Mm-hmm. We think we have to be at you know full capacity or near full capacity to yeah. begin a project, and really you need to just you need to start need to and start. you get in there and you get working, and then you learn and you learn and you, learn and you, learn and you get better and better and mm-hmm. better. And yeah, you may make mistakes; or it may not be exactly how you would yeah. have done. I may mean, I look at some of the things I've done, I did when we started versus now, and it's like, what were sure, we, what were we thinking? Yeah, right. But you just have to start.
2: Yes, I've started. We started in two thousand two with that the Milestones in Leadership Summit, and that was fifty fifty attendees. Uh, In 2002, in this last May, about three weeks ago, we had Jocka Willink as a speaker with 525 attendees. Mm -hmm. It's gone from very you know individuals coming from different companies to a team focus four to five people per company come and learn from um a speaker all day so th- this year was jaco willink the Navy retired navy seal who wrote extreme ownership mm-hmm. this next year we have daniel pink who's great in culture and uh, sales as well right to sell as human and he is um th- so this is what we do in order to help our clients grow. And we, there were a lot of lessons learned along the way, going from individuals to teams, you know, figuring out how to keep an engaged audience uh, year after year and not leaving before it's over, leaving a half-empty room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, Putting on events is, is actually something uh, we do a, a good amount of, and that's been a great uh, big learning curve as well.
1: Well, it sounds like a great event if you have Daniel Pink there. I certainly love all his work and mm-hmm. talk a lot about his uh, uh, his stuff and, and, and his most recent book, When, has really been important for us. We've, we've really sure. been digesting that in our, our company and talking about not every, you know, because not everyone wants to, brains are sort of set up to work at the same time, right? Sure. And so m- people often kind of ask, my, my organization is 100% remote now. And so they kind of don't understand, well, how do you let people work? And, and actually, what we. Fit, it unintentionally did was allow people to work when they wanted to work, which really kind of fit into those time gaps. So some people prefer to work at night. Some people work better in the morning. And so it kind of removes that need that we all have to be here in the office at the exact same time, do the exact same work, right? And so some people that works for and other people Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for uh, and allowed us to kind of hire a lot different types of people. Yeah. Uh, than what we used to get
2: you're the second company i've heard doing that recently i'm very interested in that because yeah. especially with the way real estate prices are going in orange county <laughs> um and and the collaboration tools that i've been seeing.
1: yeah right i, I would say so we did it back in 2009 wow and okay. um and i it's the best thing we've ever done so we, yeah. we, could, we could talk offline about yeah, that sure. I, i'll talk your ear off on that one but
2: okay. uh, <laughs> look forward to it
1: so if you could put a label on your company culture uh what do you think that would be
2: Sure. Well, it's our why. It's our uh, you know our we protect the promises you make. It's it's a it's a culture of caring for the client, uh, ensuring uh, proper protection, but then also caring for the employees, right? Mm-hmm. So we protect the promises you make. The business owner makes promises to their family, they're making promises to their employees, and uh, that they have a safe work environment, that they have a s- stable salary and and wages, and we we are there to protect that. Uh, I, I would say even on the work comp side, which is especially uh, a focus of ours, you know, you, we have good people who get injured, who are going through a tough system, mm-hmm. and it's our job to help them through that system. And then there's also bad players who are working the system and uh, you know fr- fraudulent claims and uh, basically attacking the business, and we are protecting the business from theirs. It is It is a... A nurturing and a fighting job on, on both sides and it is um it's just very f- fulfilling and i would say all of our employees are engaged in that in that environment
1: Right. Right. So, uh, you know, then if you t- take that approach and then you look at what you're doing from an engagement standpoint, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like? I mean, cause you can set up the framework and say, this is who we are as a company and we're going to communicate all these things, but that's a, that's, that's, sure. that's one part of it. And the second part is, well, what are you doing specifically, um, you know, for your people there?
2: Yeah. So, um, number one, we, we do a lot of testing so that we really understand each other and ourselves. So we've done like the color code tests or other type of personality tests that really understand how we like to communicate. And that's very important to Mm -hmm. all of us so that we're all communicating uh, in a way that uh, the other person understands or understanding how that person communicates to us. Uh, And actually what we're doing right now is we're going through the disk test. And so we're going through some hiring. And so we're, we're doing it not just individually, but then also as teams so that as we're really having a growth push here, to really understand each other, be able to work together. When it comes to, say, like, um, group learning, so, in our business we need to go through uh, continuing education so when someone goes to a continuing education class their job is also to come back and teach at least 15 to 30 minutes at a, at a lunch presentation which not only um usually people learn when they teach mm-hmm. and then everyone else is getting the same benefit and of they that remember one time. Right? and they remember more <laughs> right and then they're si- they're getting the benefit of uh, the rest of the, the business is getting the benefit of their learning mm-hmm. um Also, good use of company resources. Right, right, right. (laughs) Big fan of that. And then uh, that's also uh, presentation skills and and confidence in front of people, in front of your peers is also a big Mm -hmm. benefit of that. Um, We also, for longevity... You know, uh, say at five years, our, our employees get a, a weekend at a five-star resort. Ten years, it's a week in Hawaii. Fifteen years, it's uh, it's uh, ten, um, ten days in Europe. So we have you know, we actually had someone who, who started their insurance career with us. Uh, and after two years, they went to one of the big houses. And after a year and a half, they realized... They didn't like working at the big houses. They wanted to come work for a more boutique firm. When she came back to negotiate, coming back, she said, well, can I get my, my, my time served here so it counts towards this? <laughs> <laughs> no. So it's something that when people, yeah, sometimes people make a, a, a change. Right. But when they come back, that's one of their, their sticking points. It was actually quite a, a happy surprise for us here to, right. uh, to see that.
1: Yeah, can I pick up where I left off? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I want to start my two years over. Yeah. <laughs> Well that's that's really cool. I mean it sounds like you've got some really good things in there and you're you're thinking about this and you've mentioned some really great authors and and people that you have in your your leadership uh, event there. I'm going to uh, take a wild guess here and imagine that you probably like to read a few books. Uh, um, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and
2: actually, I'm, I'm very because we just had Jocko uh, as the speaker. I'm very immersed in his books right now. I've I've already read uh, once before, Extreme Ownership, and his other book, uh, Discipline Is Freedom. And I'm now listening to his Dichotomy of Leadership, which mm-hmm. goes through uh, you know being humble but not passive, or um, being disciplined but not not overly rigid. So it's it's these dichotomies that exist in you know th- these characteristics we need for leadership, but also not overdoing it or not underdoing it and understanding the balance and that's a constant balance here uh, you know leading a lot of leading is following right right, right. so often we, we make that mistake
1: right Well, uh, we've talked about a lot of great things here today. I really appreciate you being uh, on the show. How can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more if they're interested?
2: Sure. So our website is milestonepromise.com. And then the best way to follow us, see what's going on, is to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, John Hofer at Milestone Risk Management. And LinkedIn is where we uh, do most of our social media.
1: And for any of you that are name-challenged like me, the last name is spelled H-O-E-F-E-R, yes. just in case you're typing that into LinkedIn right now and uh, looking to connect. But, John, thank you so much for being on the show today and, and sharing so many great insights into leadership and what your company's doing. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me, Chris. All
1: right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break, and we'll bring in our second guest, Janelle Mitchell.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. by combining industry-leading technology with old school human investigation people g2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your hr system so ask yourself are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company visit peopleg 2com or call 800-630-2880 that's 800-630-2880 or people g2.com
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case uh, you missed my last guest, don't worry—we'll have the podcast up on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you find uh, this podcast. Uh, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com, and we have all our past uh, shows there listed as well. It's a little easier to kind of navigate and find people, and you can even subscribe there on uh, Podbean to be alerted to. Now, to, uh, excuse me, I am just. Uh, all over the road there. Wow. To be alerted to new episodes. All right. Um, but I want to go ahead and bring in my next guest, uh, Janelle Mitchell, an executive consultant in HR, uh, in the HR world of, in, in different human resources area with her company HR Squared. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, connect with us and keep the conversation going at At People G2 on Twitter uh, and use that hashtag talent talk. About. But Janelle, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: We'll get you a little bit closer to that microphone. Okay. We want to make sure people hear you. You're in here. So We want to make sure we get all those bits of wisdom from you. Um, But why don't you tell everyone uh, about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and what are you doing right now with HR Squared? Sure. So
4: I have been consulting for the last uh, seven years um, and recently ventured into a full-time position and then back into consulting where I feel that I'm much more of a value add in the work that I do. Um, I am a strategic partner And I assist organizations with creating capacity um, within their HR business um, to assist them with increasing engagement, service levels, automating systems. Um, And I think probably uh, the best thing I do is to educate leaders um, on how to wear that little HR hat um, (laughs) and and become a part of our
1: world. I I feel like they like to wear the... I don't know the HR uh, you know, whoopee cushion. They, they, they're not the leaders are sometimes not quite thinking uh, you know about things in the right way you know as it relates to you know doing things the right way you know and they sort of want to leave it over there in that office yep. for that person to think about and yet they're the ones that are probably breaking the rules and causing all the problems anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um so you, you mentioned you know creating c- capacity that was sort of the, the word that stuck out to me there and that so that means you have companies that are growing companies that are maybe looking to become more efficient and to save money, I mean certainly in this time where if you actually find the right person to hire in this market right now it's really hard. you want to get them in quickly, you want to do that efficiently, you want to do it correctly, uh, so you can actually have them working in your company as opposed to some broken process that might take a month. Right to get them in—is that sort of what you're seeing right now? Are people focused on the the growth, or are they focused on making that process better, or both?
4: I think there's more of a focus on the growth of the business, um, especially within the aspect of just generating revenue, sales. Um, really developing the business as opposed to ensuring that the people piece is stable um, from a systemic perspective, from a process Mm -hmm. perspective, ensuring that as you are growing and becoming bigger, that you've got the right systems in place, you've got the right talent in place, um, that you've got enough HR staff um, to support the growth of that business. I've done a lot of work with startups and mergers and acquisitions, and I have yet um, to see an organization uh, really hone in on what are the specific human capital needs before we grow this business and let's put together a project plan before we embark upon that.
1: Yeah. And that's really big because usually I think they, so many uh, M&As are built around, you know, is this a good fit for us from a profit standpoint, from a, you know, strategic standpoint. And yet the reason that they succeed or fail is always human. And that's never the reason that they ever do the M&A, right? They think we want that product, we want that service, we want that brand, we want that technology. Um, and yet it's the people that, that make or break. Make And yet that seems like the last thing that they think about, or sometimes they don't think about it at all.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And if the systems are disjointed, if the existing legacy employees are not engaged and the company is very agile and the growth um, is as such where folks feel like, wait a minute, what's going on? Right. Um, and they feel like they're not getting that HR service level, then you're going to have a challenge with attrition. Um, Folks are going to feel like, you know, top of the house doesn't care or is disinterested in them as employees versus the growth of the business. Yet these are your grinders. These are the folks that do the work. Um, So it's super important that they are engaged in such a way um, that they're included in those processes. And I always recommend, um, you know, going back, you know, to the book old school SWOT analysis, right. you know, pulse surveys. Um, let's do a temperature check. Let's, let's think about and get a real data feedback on how people feel before we embark upon this venture so that we're fully aware of our challenges, our roadblocks, our opportunities, the low-hanging fruit, the high-hanging fruit, and let's build a strategic plan around that.
1: Well, sometimes you have to be doing that stuff all the time, even if it's small things. You don't have to be doing a giant survey all the time, but if you're going be doing small things to collect data, you can be sort of alerted to or understand when that temperature has changed, as opposed to waiting for walk, You know that moment you walk around and realize that your company is under the weather all of a sudden, right? But can you take that survey a little at a time so that you go, oh, I'm seeing something here, right? And let's address this now, uh, as opposed to waiting until it's a big problem. And, and and I see good organizations doing a really good job with that, and I see the other organizations who complain or are, are really struggling not even be thinking about that stuff. Do, do you, is that what you kind of see in, in the clients that you're working with? Is that there's sort of a proactiveness in the ones that are doing well?
4: Yes. And I always recommend doing a biannual poll survey. Um, if you do something monthly or even bimonthly or even quarterly, you, you don't allow enough opportunity to implement change mm-hmm. and to correct um, some of those nuances in the environment. But absolutely agree with you that a poll survey should be done more than just once a year or once every several years. Right. right. And exit interviews, Um, That should be a constant because that's immediate data at your fingertips that you can use for a number of things. You you, You can compile that data and get a really good read on trends. Um, some of the behaviors that are in the environment organizationally. And you can respond to that with training and development programs, um, with change management initiatives. And so I think it's super important that HR practitioners are on the front line and that they're ensuring that they are positioning themselves to collect that data.
1: Right. Well, so you you sort of said something that um, I I might challenge you on a little bit. We'll see. (laughs) Um, I do like the approach of, you know, at least twice a year. That's something, right? Or you get into quarterly. Uh, but I found in my organization, what we do is we do one question a week. Mm-hmm. And and so where I, where I wanted to challenge you was is th- that's the only way for us that we can enact change quickly and effectively is to only ask one question, get real deep feedback on that one thing. we really understand what it is that's going on. And then we can very quickly say... Yes, this is something we need to address. Here's what we're going to do and come back in two or three days to our organization and say, this is what we heard and this is what we're going to do. As opposed to if it's, you know, for me, if it's yearly or twice a year, you know, by the time you digest that much information, because you're going to ask a lot of things and then come up with a plan and then decide what you're going to do. It's now been two or three months later, and I feel like the organization and the people have changed so much, even in that time, that is your solution too late Sure, you know not, and so for us, that's what we sort of did a little bit of that switch, absolutely,
4: and I do totally agree with you, less is more right um, you know, and I think if you do have that one key question that you can ask um, to get that data pool and you do that once a month. Um, I think you can get the feedback that you need from your employees. I mean, I'm big on with performance reviews um, to not have more than three or four questions on the review. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Should be short <laughs> and sweet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should not be a long thing. And not only because that gives people better direction and a clearer idea, but you also get better participation by your managers. Because if they had to fill out some five-page thing, they're not doing it to the last, the last possible moment. And they're going to do the absolute, with, with the exception of a few very conscientious leaders. I know for me, if it was a five-page thing, I'm doing it five minutes before that person walks in for the interview because I'm busy. I have so much going on. I can't do that much stuff. Um, and it gets left for later. So three questions I can do. Yep. And I'll do it really well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so as an HR pro, what do you think are some of your you know, greatest accomplishments? What are some of the things that you're proud of that y- y- you've done?
4: I think my greatest accomplishment is bringing about awareness to the value of HR and really positioning it as a strategic partnership, not just a tactical function. Right. Um, I'm really big on inclusion of line managers participating in HR processes Mm. and physically touching the work. I think HR practitioners need to become more uh, partners and administrators as opposed to tactical operators that are doing all of the hand-holding because it keeps the managers away from the HR business, and then they don't fully ever understand it. They don't understand the why behind it. They don't understand the pitfalls and the risks, um, the things that we do to help keep the company together and um, free from exposure. And so I'm huge on managers participating in things like onboarding. Um, you know, that all of that is not just facilitated by the HR team.
1: Right, right. I mean, they really should be. They, they should be the main person. Who, if that's, our, that's our direct employee. They should be ones greeting them at the door, making their first day great, you know, being that support system. Um, I think sometimes we either don't prioritize that or we have overloaded that manager so much that they have a really hard time fulfilling that role. And then they maybe just bring, can you just go talk to Sally and HR? They'll, they'll take care of you and get your password or whatever, you, you know, whatever you need. Um, and we've lost that opportunity. I think I read, read a couple of different studies, but one of them was like, you know, people within the first, like, so many minutes know if they're going to stick around. Yep. So this is going to be a job for them, right? And they know by the first day, whether you know, whether they're going to last two weeks or they're going to last two months or they're going to be out in a year or whatever it is. Um, and, and that all comes into just those simple interactions and what happened to them, having all the things they need to do their job the, from the moment they sit down that very first day and that they get a work buddy and someone takes them to lunch and does like simple, simple things that really don't cost any money is huge. And we've spent all that money trying to get that person in the door. And then they may have already decided in the first minute that they're not sticking around. Yes. And it's crazy. But, but it's a reality, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how do you encourage organizations to think any more strategically? I mean, HR in the past has been very tactical, and people think about it in a very tactical way. And I've really been happy in the last in the five years that I've been talking about this stuff in, in, here in Talk, we've seen this massive growth in the, in the change in HR being more and more strategic And people thinking about that way because it can be leveraged in so many great ways to help our organizations. But how are you helping them think about it that way, you know, especially when it comes to their people initiatives?
4: Sure. Um, The numbers speak, and so I'm really big on data. Um, ensuring that the HRS system and any other systems is housing clean data, accurate data, um, that there's enough data probing. Um, The data will tell you what's going on in the organization. So back to poll surveys, exit interviews, um, candor, Mm -hmm. um, water cooler conversations, all of that is data. Um, I, I believe that if we're more focused on what's going on and collecting that data, we will be able to create the people strategies um, and be able to speak to the challenges in the organization and create resolution.
1: Right, right, and, and that's and that's really big. I mean, if, if you can understand the data, you under, and you know what you need to measure, you know what's important to measure. You ignore the other stuff that you don't need to be measuring. I think that's another part of good measurement. You can't. You know, we can't be uh, trying to measure everything all the time, right? You can cause analysis paralysis. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're really focused on what's important to us and what are our triggers. We know if the, we're seeing this, we need to do that. Or if, if this for some reason pops up, that's going to spring in an, another event or, or, or some sort of action. But that takes that sort of strategic planning and thought process by leadership in advance. And then for us to say, now well, let's go here and let's start doing those things. Um, is that something that you find as a challenge to get organizations to think about it doing or, or is that just something that you just sort of have, to, once you've exposed them the idea, they're willing to go down that path?
4: I used to, but I'm, I'm finding that it's becoming a lot easier, um, because data is factual, There's no question behind it. So I've worked a lot with multi-state, multi-unit operations. Uh, So, for example, I had an organization where there was um, an excessive amount of attrition um, within a particular region. And all of that data led back to leadership and behavioral practices that were not aligned with the
1: overall organizational goals. Mm, Right, right. And and then and that can happen a lot, especially if you have organizations that are separated by geography, are separated by focus, um, separated by culture. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things that can happen in there where you have different sets of leadership, different styles, and then are they aligned and all that. So, uh, I, I I've never been uh, wanted to to jump into an organization that maybe has like you know. Five hundred locations and I mean, it's really hard to, to to be the right to set the right message and make sure you're constantly measuring and make sure that everyone is in alignment. Yes, I mean I've seen some great organizations let some superstars go because they were not aligned to what they were doing. And they know they can't control it. They can't control the at a micro level. They can only say this is what we value. This is what's right. And if you're not on board with that, then you got to go. Yep. Uh, and that's huge and hard.
4: Absolutely, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know one of the things that you're known for building, uh, you know, inside this HR co- is, you know, uh, this capacities we talked about, inside of the human resources component. How do you help companies kind of elevate the service levels across their organization? I mean, you're, you're building capacity in HR, but how does that translate then into sort of changing, you know, what they're able to offer uh, to the end user? Sure.
4: I think automation has to be a strategy in this day and age. Um, Upping on the technology um, is a must. I think gone are the days of H- HR practitioners being stuck behind a desk. And if you're stuck behind a desk constantly pushing paper because you don't have automation, then you have excluded yourself from the ability to be able to participate in face-to-face engagement.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: that's more important. And so I'm big on um, self-service, um, You know, incorporating some sort of comprehensive HRS system um, into your HR functions and having employees and managers alike. Engage with those systems so that they are participatory, and then you can be out in the field more, right. um, or around the office more, um, chatting, um, talking, um, getting real-time feedback, and, and I believe that's where we need to be.
1: Are there some systems that you're seeing right now that are pretty popular? That you know, it's 2019, so <laughs> what you know, what HR systems are you? Kind of excited about or seeing, you know, a bit more focus on right right now.
4: Sure, um, one of my favorites is UltiPro.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I think it is sophisticated enough for any middle market uh, employer. Um, I think Paychecks um, does well for small employers, um, but I'm really fascinated by Workday. Right now, and I and I think it's because the platform has the financial management component. So it has the accounting features where your accounting team can process and manage all of their invoices um, through that system. It has the payroll platform. You can process expense reimbursements through that system. In addition to all of your human capital stuff, so it really is a one-stop shop.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, I, and you, you hear all about these different systems in different ways, and Workday, I think, has sort of had this uh, a bumpier road at, at times, but I have been more recently hearing some really good things about them, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, and for us, you know, we integrate into all these different platforms as one little component into their larger uh, ecosystem. So we certainly want them to be successful and want them to be doing well because uh, we want cl- our clients to be, <laughs> to be happy in their systems. And then you know, they send their background checks to us, and then you know, we're, we're just feeding one little morsel, I guess, of the overall meal that they're, that they're trying to digest from an HR perspective. Yes. So w- what are some of the other things that you're seeing, you know, maybe from a strategic level or maybe from a, a, an interest level that companies are struggling with right now? I mean, are they? is it uh, certainly the biggest one we're hearing is uh, finding people? right the the talent pool is dried up and the people are out there but they got to pay them double to get them to move or whatever it may be uh, maybe aside from that challenge are you seeing other things popping up right now
4: For me, it's diversity Mm -hmm. um, and inclusion awareness. And, you know, more recently in the last year, year and a half, we've had two very large retailers shut down their business um, to do a full day of training for diversity, inclusion and awareness. I think gone are the days of um, diversity being perceived as a method to avoid legal liability. Seventy five percent of consumers are women. And more and more, the U.S. population is becoming non-Anglo. And so, um, with that, I think diversity has to be positioned to skill set. We're hiring to build a brand. Um, we 're hiring to be able to speak to the market and speak to consumers um, we 're not hiring to avoid legal liability and I think if there is a focus there um, we 'll get the diversity that we need from a skill set perspective and not just looking at it as an opportunity to hire for race or sex
1: right and This is a conversation we 've had a few times with some diversity experts on this show and 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 I'll sort of repeat maybe this little small part of what where I think we try to do well here, which is it, it, it can be a challenge to walk into an organization that is having a diversity problem. Right, I would say most probably fit in that category at some level. I don't I don't know very many organizations that are like we're the best, <laughs> right? Everyone's sort of trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what to do. But when you walk in and tell people, well, we need to fix this problem. Well, first of all, we've called it a problem. Second of all, we we, we show up and we say, well, we need to do. Some sort of a numbers thing, which sort of feels like a quota, which feels like... And that immediately puts everyone in sort of this weird uh, energy, right? And and I think at that point you've lost them. Instead of us walking in and saying, guys, yes, diversity is important, but we're going to look at this through the lens of we need to eliminate group thought. We need to eliminate this uh, innate thing that we have in our brains to try to hire people and bring in people who think like us, who look like us, who talk like us, because it's comfortable, Right, And I think that's at the base level, that's what most people are doing when they're screwing it all up, mm-hmm. is they're trying, oh, you went to the school I went to. Oh, okay. And we have a conversation about whatever that school was. Oh, I like you because you had the teachers I had, you went to the place I went, and I'm going to hire you. And it turns out, well, you look just like me, you talk just like me, you think just like me. We're on all the same clubs and we like the same beer. And, and, and so you've unintentionally just made the problem worse. And I think if we give people this uh, opportunity to say, Oh and a real mechanism, and I have a mechanism we use in our company, but every company's got to find their mechanism is how do you get people that are different to be hired? How do you say you need to go out and find someone who doesn't go to your school and doesn't not I'm not ever worried about do they look like you or not I'm like do they have a different set of skills and so we use strengths finders and we have all of our strengths laid out for our entire company and I will not hire anyone unless they have in their top five a strength that we don't have. That's all we did, and, and and at some point, that's going to get filled up, and we'll have to come up with a new way to do it, but until we get to that point, because as soon as I said that, I didn't say I want more of this race, or this sex, or this thing, I just said I want people who fill our gaps, where we don't have any strengths, and magically, mm-hmm. who showed up in my interviews? Absolutely. Totally different people. <laughs> Think different, talk different. There were some people I was like, I don't know how you even got the interview, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I mean they were they were so different because they, they their number one strength was something we had nothing of, right? So they were so different than everybody else. But I gave everyone a clear mechanism on how to do it that didn't say, well, I'm going to I'm looking for this X person and I'm going to hire someone. And that just feels that feels off too, right? Sure. For me. So I, I, if companies can go back and find a mechanism, a way to th- think about it, not how to find people who think differently, I I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me on on the on the approach, but isn't that what we're trying to get to? Is people who have a different yes. way to approach things, a different uh, diversity is about diver- diversity of thought and of and of opinion and of of, of approach.
4: Spot on, absolutely. I some of my clients. Um, they have positioned their recruitment teams so that one, two, or three people, however big the organization is, is doing the sourcing. And that person will black out the name on the resume before it gets passed along to the hiring manager because the name means nothing. Um, you are vetting for skill set. And then the conversation that takes place at the point of screening. Do not go out to LinkedIn to look at the person's profile before you screen them. Um, it is not important to know what that person looks like. Right. Um, you're going to have that conversation. It's going to be either great dialogue or a bad dialogue, um, you're going to ask behavioral questions, and you're going to get the answers that you need, and you're going to either move them on or not. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of folks out there, as soon as they get that resume, they're looking at the name, and they're Googling, and they're going on LinkedIn, and they make a poor decision based upon a profile picture right? or a name. and we- a,
1: a name, you know, something. Are they... I mean, even, are they good? Are they a good looking person? Yes. I mean, just because they're a good looking person doesn't mean they're going to be good at their job.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad. so that's another mechanism, right? There's something in place to help them do that because I think as human beings, we're not, unless we're being really, really intentional and in thinking about it. It is just a cognitive bias to say, I mean, this was sort of things that are alike we can trust. Um, and that was the way we survived, right? This is a blueberry. This one looks like a blueberry. It must be okay. This one doesn't look like a blueberry. It might make me sick, right? So we have this natural inclination. If it's not this, not like what I know, maybe it's dangerous. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's going to... And we have to get around that. We're, we're, we're beyond those days. Yep. And we have to find new ways, I think, to make those good connections. So Agreed. Yeah. Well, tell us, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? So... <sighs>
4: I'm a little different. I kind of shy away from books. I'm big on white papers. Um, I'm big on... Um, just kind of Googling whatever comes to my mind, um, whatever challenges I'm facing with my clients and um, their workforce and just doing a lot of research. So I'm, I'm just very old school in that sense. <laughs> you know, I, I want to see, you know, what research has Mercer come up with, Deloitte. And right. I'm really out there reading the data in real time so that I can speak to my clients.
1: Well, that last Gallup report was like 500 pages long. So it's like <laughs> a book. I mean, it was... <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, that's, uh, we have gotten so many interesting answers when we start asking this question. So uh, this is right up there. So looking for white papers and looking for those instead of you know those books, you're going to get case studies. You're going to get information uh, that you can go back to your clients with. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you or having you come in and work with them as a consultant?
4: Sure. You can email me at mysearch at thepeopleinc.co.com. So that is .co, not .com. I right. just want to be clear. So it's my search at the peopleinc.co.
1: Cool. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, and hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing.
4: Great. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next get, next week, my two guests will be uh, Bart Valadez, the CEO at U.S. Nursing Corporation and Fast Staff. Um, HR Director at Fairfax County Park Authority. So until then, do eat your love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.